tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch. For the geeks and all the geeks to come. That's right, you've returned for another episode of The Geek's Watch, where we're here to talk about everything that pertains to the geek world and how we see it. Uh, John, what are we talking about this week? Uh, Westworld Episode 4. Dissidence Theory. I think I said that right. Dissonance? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Once again, another rock solid, amazing episode of Westworld that we're going to be talking about. Uh, it's just a show that's really spitting my mind. How about you? Yeah, already I need an Excel sheet to keep track of what's happening. <laughs> so much is flying at us. Uh, I have a feeling that if we go to your home, we'd see one of those, uh, you know, maps and charts and uh, on the wall with all the string attaching from people to people and pictures and stuff. Is this true? Are you one of those people? Well, I will say that there there's lots of magazines now that are missing letters for my uh, <laughs> messages I've been trying to write here. Ah, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, before we get to the, the discussing the episode, though, we're going to talk about a little bit of geek news. Um, what is it that you found interesting this week? Well, one of the things I'm super geeky about, uh, if you are on my MySpace, or my MySpace, what the hell? On my yes, MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just re- regressed like 10 years Um but yeah, if you if you go to my Facebook page, you'll see that my profile picture and my background or page, whatever you call that, is uh, Night Rider themed. That's because I'm a big fan of Night Rider. Uh, since the '80s, I remember one of my first memories watching TV was watching Night Rider. So, okay, not so... because it's a good show. I just remember growing up with it, so now it's a part of me forever. No, that's it's quintessential '80s right there. But uh, one thing I always forget is what did Kit stand for? It was Night Industries 2000. 2000. Okay. So way back in '82, 2000 seemed like so far away. <laughs> uh, I always thought it was like like Kit in or Night Industries uh, technology or something like that. But I guess 2000 makes sense as well. It was like, hey, how can we make this anagram work? It's like, ah, what has two T's in it? <laughs> I'm sure they have the first part right. <laughs> so uh, what, what, what do we have to look forward to in the new Night Industries world? It's not clear yet. It's, uh, it's being made in conjunction with Machinima and being brought to us by Justin Lin, 
who I believe did the most recent Fast and Furious and Star Trek movies. Um, I don't know. I I mean that he does good action, and Knight Rider. Well, like I said, I I look back on it with rose tinted glasses. Looking back now, it wasn't the most fast paced show, you know. And the the car often took a backseat to the Hoff's uh, dramatic performance. <laughs> That's right, yeah, the, the 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 Hoff, you know, him and his uh, superior acting ability. <laughs> his, his method, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'd be happy if they just bring back the car. That's what's been failing with all, all of, in my opinion, all of the reboots or the reimaginings. I mean, you have the one where it was a, a what was it, a... The Ford Mustang yeah. that we had. Ford Mustang that yeah, could turn was... into it like a Tacoma or something, or <laughs> F one fifty, whatever the Ford truck is. Yeah, I'm I'm assuming it would have been an F one fifty. Yeah, I remember that show because I was working at NBC at the time uh, when that <laughs> that came on. Well, I mean, I wasn't working at NBC; I was working at an NBC affiliate. So uh, I remember that show coming on at night on the prime time. But yeah, it didn't do so well. So I'm interested to see what they do this time around. And yeah, so if they did it, you want them to keep the, uh, what was it, a Trans Am? The... Yes, okay. the 1982 Pontiac Trans Am, a.k.a. the Firebird. This is my jam, Mitch. I know about that later. <laughs> hey, I, I'm, all, I'm all about you knowing about it, so that's awesome. No, yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah, I think, like I said, I, even, even if it's not the main car, I would at least like it to be in there in some way. Because at least that means that they would release more of the diecast, you know, Ertl 112 scale models or whatever. Uh, you know, like those metal cars you can get of Dukes of Hazard and the Ghostbusters car. I just need them to make more Knight Rider cars like that. <laughs> um, every time they've come up with a reboot, though, it's always something else. Like in the uh, late 90s, when they tried to reboot it with a female lead, it was some kind of weird... Dodge Stratus looking thing. I don't remember. I think exactly. I remember that. Dodge Avenger. <laughs> then when they did Team Knight Rider, which was just the stupidest thing ever, they had like a couple of motorcycles. A Jeep, I think, was one of them. It was just bad. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, unfortunately, cool. they wouldn't be able to have the same voice because that actor passed away, right? Mr. Feeney passed away? No way. I think he did. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm wrong. That's that's horrible if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he, I think he's still alive, but he would be hella old by now. Yeah. Um, and they had, what, see, Val um, Kilmer do it in the last show. Yeah, and I was not a fan of that. Which, you know what's funny is that originally in the the original pilot it wasn't Val Kilmer they redid Val Kilmer they put Val Kilmer in afterwards before the show came on air it was originally Will Arnett really yeah i you know i actually would have gone with that a little bit more because that uh <laughs> that might have given the car some personality i think that's i think i'm i'm guessing that's probably why they didn't do it is cuz they didn't want to give the car personality uh, for whatever reason, but yeah, uh, it was it was Will Arnett, and they changed it right before the episode aired and changed it to Val Kilmer. So yeah, I, I would love to hear the story behind why that was, but uh, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm, I guess I could go look it up. It's not that interesting, though. <laughs> no, I guess not. But um, 
I found it pretty interesting that uh, there were talks um, shortly after Guardians exploded, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were talks that um, Chris Pratt was getting offered roles for like everything in the world. And one of the projects that looked like it was in serious contention was a Knight Rider reboot being done as a sort of action comedy. Oh, he would be a great um, Michael Knight. <laughs> yeah, and there was talks that, um, I can't remember who it was now, but the voice was going to be somebody similar, like that was kind of a, a comedian, but that had like a pretty cool voice, and I can't remember who it was, unfortunately. Huh. Looks like the voice of Kit is still alive. Okay. I just had to look that up while we were talking about it. Um, well, it would be funny if they did get Chris Pratt to to be the new Michael Knight, if they got Will Arnett to be the new voice of Kit, because they were both in the Lego movie together. Yeah, they have that rapport now. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. And they could say something like, check out these new subwoofers I installed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're not going to get me to laugh about the Lego movie. I hated that thing. Oh, man, the Lego movie was awesome. No. no Everything the, is awesome. No, no! <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, well, moving on. All right. Knight Rider is going to come back, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. I, I mean, I, I liked Machinima's Mortal Kombat series that they did. I thought that was pretty great, and I thought it made me want to see a, another live-action Mortal Kombat movie, which has got to be pretty difficult after... Uh, you know, the last live action Mortal Kombat movie, but uh what they did there I thought was pretty awesome. So what they could do with a Knight Rider reboot or reimagining or however you want to put it would be pretty cool too. Yeah, if they did a re like a gritty reimagining, I would imagine that you know the uh Michael Knight character would actually be killed. And they would put his consciousness into the car. So there'd actually be no main character. It would just be a car all the time. Main character. Talking car. <laughs> I mean, technically the car could does drive on its own. So uh, I don't see why not. You remember that cartoon from the 80s? I don't remember what it's called. But it was a guy who could turn into a car if he ever got hot. Are you asking me if I if I if I remember Turbo Teen? Of course I remember That's Turbo one, Teen. Yes. <laughs> that was my shit there, man. That was my <laughs> jam. Uh, I mean, it was the Incredible Hulk, but instead of turning into the Hulk, he turned into a car. Yeah. Only thing I can really remember from that among other bad 80s cartoons was one morning he woke up, the AC was broken, so he woke up as a car in his bed. And he had to wheel himself into the shower to get cold again to turn back into a normal kid. <laughs> I think one of the ones I remember was that he was a car and he was driving around inside of the mall. And he crashes into the ice cream parlor and the lady you know, serving the ice cream drops the cone onto his hood and he turns back into a kid because of the ice cream. I just realized, is this show like a metaphor for puberty? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> I was like, oh man, I gotta cool down. I'm going too fast right now. I'm gonna uh, crash. I don't know if you ever watch uh, Robot Chicken, but they did a pretty awesome sketch uh, about Turbo Teen where he, he got he got vandalized and his his hub his 
wheels got stolen and his friends like had sex in his back seat and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see that. So yeah. Wow. Somehow I missed a reference on that. I do remember it. Cool. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. We could spend the whole hour talking about eighties cartoons. I'm sure. So okay, we'll leave that one there. We'll go, we'll go on to the next thing then. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, Deadpool two. They have lost Tim Miller as a director who was their director for the first movie. From what I've gathered, uh, it's pretty much that the studio, Fox Studios, wanted to give them a huge budget because they had they had cut their budget in the first movie like drastically. So they only had fifty eight million to make the first movie, which you know for a lot of movies that's a that's a pretty good budget, but for a superhero movie, that's that's pretty low. So uh, what they did with fifty eight million was pretty amazing. Obviously, the highest grossing R rated movie out there. And they uh, basically wanted to double down. Fox Studios was like, well, here, they have more money. And and Tim Miller, as a director, was like, yeah, more money. I can do all these other things and do this and that and this and make this type of movie. Whereas Ryan Reynolds and the two writers uh, were both like, you don't want to go too overboard because, you know, what made us great the first time around was that we had a lower budget and stuff like that. So from the sounds of it, you know, there was two different types of movies up on the table and eventually they uh the studio went with Ryan Reynolds obviously he's the face of Deadpool at this po- at this moment you know uh he's Deadpool like Hugh Jackman is Wolverine and uh from what they say the two of them parted ways amicably who knows if that's true or not Tim Miller just got moved over to another Fox uh property i don't remember what it was at the, at, at the moment but uh it, they've gone ahead and hired a new director for uh, Deadpool 2, and it is the director of John Wick, and I assume John Wick 2 as well. So, you know, all, uh, basically another new director, but this time focus, he focuses more on the action, whereas Tim Miller was a uh, special effects like artist, uh, like CGI artist. So it's going to be interesting to see if this changes up the movie So. Yeah, I was a big fan of the the story of the first one. I thought that's what that was what's uh, selling point and com- <laughs> Ryan Reynolds' superior acting method. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the action was cool, but it, it I felt like it was somewhat lacking in action. I mean, there was a couple of the set pieces, and that was about it. I wanted to see way more Deadpool. Uh, taking people on, maybe with some more worthy adversaries besides just, uh, just Ajax. Ajax. Yeah, yeah. Um, so getting the guy from John Wick means that we're probably going to get a really good boost in the action with the henchmen, because now all of them are going to be really kick-ass fighters. Or, or if not, at least they'll get taken out in really awesome ways. Well, I mean, as we know, there's going to be at least Cable and Domino in this movie, so... Uh, you know, I can imagine we're going to see some pretty good action scenes. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but in the first movie, in Dead, in the Deadpool movie, when Deadpool is gathering all those guns and he puts it in the duffel bag, but then he forgets it in the car. The only reason why he forgets it in the car is because their budget was cut down so low that they had to make it a fight scene instead of a gunfight scene. Right. Yeah, I remember hearing that. But like you were saying, that you had a good director that was able to work with that. And actually turn it into a plot point and even make it funny by putting in that little subplot with the uh, cab driver and 
the stuff he's going through with his love life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So they they were able to make it so that it, yeah, it worked for the movie. So, uh yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm still excited for Deadpool 2 cuz I really love John Wick, so uh I I can only imagine this is also a great pairing. Right on. Uh, I'm excited. I do remember hearing uh in the related article that it also had something to do with who they wanted to cast as Cable. Yeah, I heard that Tim Miller really wanted Kyle Chandler. Is that his name? I Kyle? believe so. Yeah, Kyle Chandler from Friday Night Lights and Bloodline to be Cable, which, I mean, he's a great actor, so he could probably pull it off, but like to me, he doesn't really resemble Cable in, in, in the right ways. So, uh, you know, maybe that means we're going to get a different front runner for Cable. Yeah, and I heard that he, uh, he was that Ryan Reynolds was kind of pulling for someone more akin to Dolph Lundgren, so that when he joked about it in the after credit sequence of the first movie, that it was it was a half joke, half truth. Like, hey, I would like this guy to be Cable. Um, so who knows? But whoever they get, I'm sure. I mean, as long as you have the same writers, you still have Reynolds. The director will just give it a slightly different flavor, but it'll still be the same pie, I think. Well, you know, also, yeah, you're right. Exactly. That That's completely true. But I was just thinking that because uh, David Lesh, who's the director of John Wick that's going to be directing Deadpool 2, was attached to direct the X-Force movie for Fox at one point. Uh, I don't know if now he's still supposed to direct that movie or not, but you got to imagine... Whoever they get to play Cable in, in Deadpool 2 will also be Cable in X-Force if they go with that version of the team. Hmm. So they're going to have to be around for a while. Yeah. I could see that. I mean, this this is definitely a good career opportunity for whoever takes over the reins. Yeah, especially with uh, you know the last X-Men movie itself not doing so well. Uh, we don't have another... Wolverine movie after Logan, for all we know. So Deadpool will be the the X Men. I think the driving force in X Men for a while. Huh. Yeah. And X Force is not as well known as X Men, so right. They definitely got to take work cut out for them. <laughs> uh, okay. What did, what was your next story? Oh, uh, there was a huge Game of Thrones season seven leak. Apparently, all of the major plot points and character interactions have been revealed online. If you uh, poke around, it's not too hard to find it. Um, every Game of Thrones uh, subreddit and uh, YouTube channel that I'm subscribed to has at least mentioned it, with some of them going into detail. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not going to cover that really here, because uh, I don't want to spoil anything And in the case that it's uh, some of the you know, leaks are not entirely accurate. I don't want to spread the misinformation, but I did want to acknowledge that if these leaks are true, there's a couple of things that I've been waiting for a very long time to happen that are finally going to happen. And I'm super psyched about them. And uh, if anything becomes official from the leaks, I will acknowledge it such as on our geek elite radio page. uh, I posted a picture of the Knights King on top of a, what looks like an undead or ice dragon. Right. Well, that was from the leak. So if HBO makes it official, I will say, awesome. 
this is uh, this is now a thing that's happening, and I'm super excited about it. <laughs> and uh, I mean, if you were a person that would like to go see what it is that, that that's been leaked, uh, what's a, do you know? Do you have a, a URL for them? Honestly, just Google uh, Game of Thrones season seven plot leak. Or go to YouTube. I mean, it, it's all there. It, it doesn't take a lot of searching. There's, you don't have to go into the deep web for this one. <laughs> and then if you decide you you have you did want to to go. I mean, personally, I'm not going to go look at them because I don't want to be spoiled. Uh, so thank you, John, for not actually saying what the, the leaks are. But uh, if you are a person that goes and you know looks at them and reads them, and then you want to talk to someone, you can reach John at at Magic Bollocks on Twitter. That is correct. I'm doing this for you, people. I'm spoiling myself so that you don't have to. <laughs> See, and that's why uh, I love John. So we keep him around so that he can he'll he'll take the, those blows. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it wasn't supposed to be an in, it, uh, insinuous <laughs> or anything. Okay. Uh, cool. That's that's awesome. That's uh, definitely something that you know people like to to look into. So uh, I'm glad that you brought it up. My last uh, story is not really a story, I guess. It's more just uh, what has been said around the internet. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is obviously a huge proponent of uh, uh, climate change awareness, and he has, you know, spoken out a lot about uh, cl- uh, climate change and global warming. And he, you know, was a big uh, uh, voice when Inconvenient Truth came out. Now he has his, I think he has his own documentary coming out where he's, where he's talking about it, but he's also talked about how he is the, he's going to be producing a live action Captain Planet movie. Uh, So once again, bringing back nostalgia of eighties and nineties stuff, we might have a live action Captain Planet movie coming out. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about that. <laughs> the cartoon was corny as hell. <laughs> I mean, it, it. I think it was supposed to be corny, and it was just very colorful, and, you know, you had a gimmick to, to get a hold of kids, and the whole idea was, you know, just to teach them about the environment, I assume. Well, yeah, and you, you, <laughs> <laughs> you had the same diversity in the cast, like, almost exactly. Uh, as there was from like the magic school bus or something. I forget what that, that meme was. I think that I think you're right. That's true. <laughs> like you have the redheaded kid, the uh, the black kid, the the random South American kid that's kind of like Fez. You don't know exactly know where he's from. <laughs> uh, the blonde girl, the Asian girl. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> I was like, who knew they grew up to be uh, the Planeteers. <laughs> Now, DiCaprio's been associated with a lot of interesting projects that don't seem to go anywhere. The biggest one, I think I mentioned it before, is I think he has the rights to Robotech. Oh, really? It's either it's either him or Tobey Maguire, or maybe it's a combination of the two because I know they know each other. Oh, they're huge. Um, they're huge friends. They, they're 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 part of a a group. It's him, uh, Tobey Maguire, and uh, the kid from from Solar Babies. This is I forget what his oh, name Luke is. Oh, Lucas. Yeah, Lucas. Thank you. So yeah, yeah. They're they're. I, mean, I knew exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So they were like the the new bright pack of the early 2000s. I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. 
the millennial pack. <laughs> the millennial pack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's been associated with, I think he was even associated with the live action Akira at one point. Um, yeah, I remember or, hearing or about one the live of action Akira. He was also, uh, I think for a while, attached to a James Cameron Spider-Man movie. Yes, yes, that was back in the uh, mid-90s. And man, if you ever get a chance to read that script treatment that Cameron came up for that version, you'll be glad it went to Raimi because holy crap, that was, it was dark and, and awkward. Really? <laughs> yeah, there was some weird stuff in there, man. Like in, in that one, the comparison between puberty and turning into Spider-Man was not so subtle. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was, it, and there was just some really strange things that um, didn't make sense. That's where the organic web shooters came from, I believe. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like that, that was a carryover from that whole thing. So maybe one day we'll look at um, scripts that never were like uh, the the death of Superman and uh, maybe the Cameron Spider-Man. There's some interesting stuff in there. Yeah, that that definitely be a, a cool segment to to talk about to do. Uh, but right yeah, on. that's uh Captain Planet. So if you ever, I, I don't know if anybody else watches uh movie fights from Screen Junkies, but they had uh Max Landis on a couple of weeks ago to, and they, he had to pitch a version of the live action Captain Planet movie. And I thought it was actually sounded pretty interesting. So if anybody gets a chance and they want to see what he had to say, you know, go give that uh, episode of Movie Fights a, a, a try. <laughs> On a related note, I also want to suggest if anybody is a fan of Screen Junkies, check out their roasts of um, fictional characters that they do. <laughs> uh, so far, I think they've done Captain, the roast of Captain America and the roast of Rick Grimes. And... They are really funny. <laughs> I mean, they're raunchy as hell. Don't get me wrong. There's definitely some foul language, but they're really good. Yeah. Yeah. And then they also have their Screen Junkies Plus app that you can get on your phone or tablet. So, okay. Uh, let's go ahead and get into Westworld. Unless you had some more news, I, I think that we, we discussed everything, right? No, I was just going to say this episode brought to you by Screen Junkies, but that's already too late now, and now it's awkward. <laughs> well, you could have saved it to the very end. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we have to do a callback. No, I'm good. We can go right into this, because this was just a meaty episode. <laughs> that's right. So, Dissidence Theory. Uh, wow. <laughs> that's all I really have to say at this moment is, wow. What did uh, what, What's some of the juicy stuff that you wanted to get to? Oh man. Okay. Well, so <laughs> so now it seems like every main character is, is going deeper into their respective plot lines, um, and uh, you got. I guess the main takeaway from this episode is that Ford knows all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's fully aware, or at least he's hinting that he's fully aware that uh, Bernard is having conversations with Dolores. And that uh, for Bernard and Teresa are uh, shacking up. Yeah. And he even had a super creepy little scene with Teresa where they're talking about business plans and future expansions. And for no real specific reason, other than to just creep the hell out of her, he arranged a meeting 
in like a place where she visited as a child within Westworld. Right. And it's like this and, huge like plantation house or like you know, some type of hotel or something where and they're they're having they're supposed to be having, I don't know, brunch or lunch or dinner or something. They're supposed to be having a meal. And yeah, they uh he he she's like, I think we sat around here somewhere and she's like, Wait, we sat at this table, didn't we? And that's when he gets all the automatons to just stop in in place. Yeah, and I hadn't occurred to me that all of these people were were uh, synthetic <laughs> until that happened. I'm like, wait a minute, they're the only two real people, and they're vastly outnumbered, and all these guys are just fake? I thought they were like... I mean, which makes sense in, in retrospect, but it was just kind of shocking for a second to see that. That, uh... So do you everyone th- around him? Do you think that that was a pre-planned thing that like he had it so that at a certain time everybody was going to stop, or does he have like some type of control neurologically that he can just like think for them to stop and then and they stop? Well, like, that's what I was wondering too because it, I don't remember him saying anything specific to shut them down. Yeah, he didn't. But uh, yeah, and and then like even if he did say something that we just didn't catch. The dudes working out in the fields were like pretty far, yeah, and they all stopped too. So either, either I was thinking maybe he had arranged it so they would all stop at the same time, based on like just the time. But that wouldn't really make sense. It make it makes more sense like you're saying. Maybe he's got some kind of neural interface, or shit, even like a clicker. You know, like a little like remote control in his pocket that he just flick the switch on or something that was that was pretty jarring i was like whoa what's going on now it went from just a simple conversation about future expansions to uh hey i know what you're doing and uh, don't get in my way i did i mean you guys yeah because during that conversation you you like they obviously have the the waiter who's pouring the wine in the foreground whereas Teresa's in the background and i'm all i'm sitting there like i know i'm paying attention to what they're saying but then i'm thinking that wine glass is getting way too full and then all of a sudden it just starts spilling and I'm like, wait, what's going on? And that's when you notice that everything has stopped and it's just like, This is this is unreal. Like, yeah, that's it is very jarring, like you said. Yeah, it reminded me of the when they do those uh flash mobs at like Grand Central Station. Yeah. And everybody just freezes for like a minute. <laughs> and it was just like, What is going on? And I was like, I don't have time for this. Keep keep going about my business. <laughs> Uh, I also thought it was interesting, like, uh, when you had the people that were working out in the field or on the, whatever the lot or whatever it is, the you know, they had on clothing that's not associated with people doing that type of labor. So, obviously, he, and even after that conver- that point in the conversation where he froze everything, he tells the one waiter that, okay, that's enough here, you can go back to, to doing the other work. So, that's, he's just repurposing any robots that are in that uh, area to be working on this project that he wants worked on. Oh man, how cool would it be then to to have him be controlling the snakes to be doing like manual labor, like <laughs> carrying tools around and stuff? That'd be so cool. That would be that would be really cool to see. Um, I thought so like that that giant like earth eater or whatever that machinery was that was carving the hole or digging the hole in the ground, like how far away do you think we are from what is the town called Sweetwater? Yes. Uh, that you think that, you know, no guest would wander into that area and see this thing and kind of break the illusion. 
because it uh, made a whole bunch of rumbling and it rumbled the house even though it was far away. Yeah, it. I. I mean, but it's definitely far, and that's what's uh, interesting about this too is that there's a lot of things that are kind of adding up here that we are not on Earth. I'm. I'm starting to lean very heavily towards um, either this is like some kind of terraformed Mars or some sort of satellite like Elysium or Halo style. Right. Where like if because yeah like. It, the distance would have to be really great, and again, this being a future Earth, um, would we still have these huge swaths of land where, like, I mean, like, there's no apparent edge so far. I mean, we see like some borders when they, whenever they look at the map of the of the area, but it always seems like they kind of can go a little further because there's always outliers. So I don't think we've seen the full extent of the of of how big it is, and like it's hard to get a proper sense of scale. Yeah, no, there, yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, it seems like he's working. It, I mean, it almost seems like he's working on a whole other side of the planet or something. Yeah, kind of. But and... it also seems like I mean, obviously, if she said she went there before as a child, that it's it's a place that was part of the park at least, and. Like maybe doesn't didn't get used anymore, so that's why they're revitalizing it. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I took from it too. Is like, oh, this must be like a decommissioned or for because I think that's what they were doing. Is uh, Ford looked like he was wrecking the area next to it, but at the end of it, he was bringing the excavator over. Mm-hmm. So I think he was gonna destroy that area too. And that was that was some interesting power play stuff going on there because he's showing how like. Like, yeah, this is associated with your memories. You've been here before, and I know that. And I'm also going to destroy it. What do you think about that? (laughs) And the conversation, we haven't even touched on it, but it starts off as like a simple conversation about like, oh, the stockholders or the board, you know, like they'll give you more time to complete your project. Uh, You know, you don't have to rush. And he immediately says, "Uh, oh, yeah, I'm sure they'd like me to hold off indefinitely, huh? And she was like, well, I mean, yes and no, kind of. So he definitely seems like he's kind of going off the rails, or at the very least, he's the, he's starting to go off of his uh, loop, I, guess, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Where he's doing things that kind of against their permission or without their knowledge. Yeah, it's. I mean, and, uh, he obviously has a agenda of his own and he's got something that he wants to do and he doesn't really care like he even i mean in not in in much more words he's like i don't care what the chair or what the board thinks or what's gonna happen I, i've been here longer than them and i'll be here past them so you guys just give me the money or whatever and i do what i want to do right and then it says, oh, yeah, and I know who, that you're boning a Bernard. <laughs> uh, I would just love to see Sir Anthony Hopkins just be like, I know you're boning him. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would sound so much more regal and respectable coming from true. him. True. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that's that little area there. So I – at one – okay, so in a past in the past episode – we saw him when he introduces Bernard to part of his new storyline that he wants to do. He shows him that steeple that we talked about before, right? 
Yeah. Uh, in this episode, did we see that as part of a whole church now? Because th- I think there was a scene that I saw, and they were like, it, it shows it as a part of a whole church. Or maybe just, I'm just confusing it with a different steeple. I think it might be a different church, because I think you're right. It was at the scene where Dolores is in that uh, Mexican town. Yes. Where Lawrence is from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where, and she sees it there. Okay. Um, so either if we're still thinking the the theory of the two different timelines going simultaneously, right? Uh, that could be where that church was implemented, um, or where it was implemented before, it from, right? Like, a different time period when it was just getting started, or she's having some other kind of revelation or or memory coming back to her from something else. Which at this point, you know, they're only giving us just enough to to raise a bunch of questions, but we can't really, you know, make the connections yet. True. Yeah, my my little conspiracy board has a lot of question marks on it right now. <laughs> so when in that little town, uh, we do see basically a men in black kind of character come up to Dolores and be like, "Aren't you in the wrong place? Shouldn't you be coming over here?" Now I'm assuming. That's supposed to be a park official, an actual person that uh, put on some period clothing and is like trying to get her to come back to Sweetwater. Uh, but knowing this show, it could be something else completely. Yeah, I figured it was probably an employee because uh, as soon as uh, William and his friend Logan, I think his name was, I think so, they yeah. show up and. He's like, uh, she's with us. We're like uh, questing together or whatever. And the guy kind of very begrudgingly was like, eh, all right. But he kind of gives her the uh, we're watching you kind of look. Right. Which, of course, she doesn't seem to really understand yet. <laughs> um, or at least she's playing an office she doesn't understand. Or, yeah. Or she's just really good at pretending. And, uh, yeah. that. So they're still together. Um William's friend or future brother-in-law seems to think that they're wasting their time. Yeah, because uh, he obviously, like, he he stated many times that he doesn't want to go on these boring treasure hunts or bounty hunters storylines because he thinks they're just beneath him and stuff. He'd rather be drinking and and screwing and uh, stuff like that. And when they actually they finally find the criminals that they were looking for with the bounty hunter. Um, they take out the whole team except for one guy, and when that guy is, says something, he says something about, you know, I can take you to said said person, and he, he has a lot of money or something like that. That's when Logan kills the bounty hunter and is like, this is the better storyline that we should be going on. Oh, I see. Yeah, I was like, wait, why did he kill this dude? <laughs> and then William has a little freak out where he's like, come on, man, why are you being such a dick? <laughs> yeah, you know, that to, was interesting, because he says that, he says, as soon as you get away from regular c- civilization, you just become this huge dick, implying that in real the real world, he's not. He's a he's an actual cool guy, or, you know, uh, at least a normal dude. But now that he's in a place where there's no rules, he's he's letting his freak flag fly, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's my whole, like, takeaway from the show so far, is I, I think that this... A big part of it has to do with that. It's um, some sort of analysis or study of how people behave when they think they are they're free. You know, like when they believe they have no consequences to their actions. Yeah, 
So, like, somebody who normally would be a, a decent person because of the rules becomes a complete asshole in a lawless place like this. And I was like, huh, well, that doesn't bode well for the future of humanity if this is the kind of thing that lies deep inside, you know? And someone like William, who... I don't know if it's because he's just kind of timid by nature, but he seems to actually be curious about the the world and the stories that are unfolding and seems to care for the plight of Dolores, even though he knows deep down that she's a fictional character. And a robot. And, yeah, and a robot, not a real person. Completely just not human, but he still is, is feeling sympathetic to her. Uh, I also thought it was interesting that him and uh, William and Logan have that little, also little blow up about the whole uh, business. He said, you know, I've, cause Logan said, let something slip about, you know, I've tried to get the company to put more money into this or develop this more or something like that. And he's like, this is a business trip. I thought we were here on vacation or something like that. And he's like, everything is always business. Yeah. With the family. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's also, Interesting. It's like, does, does that mean that they're somehow financially invested in Westworld? And like, maybe this was meant to be sort of like a like expeditionary, like let's check out what we're investing in kind of trip. Well, it's, I think I, I mean, obviously Logan has been there before, and he's had he's had a, at least a couple trips there, uh, and this is obviously William's first trip. So I'm I'm guessing it was more of a it was kind of a, a guy's getaway kind of thing, but it was also Logan trying to show William that this is part of where we make our money and you should be familiar with it because he's going to be a part of the family. Yeah, yeah, he's marrying into the family. Some very mafia-like connotations there. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it just really... See, they, they gave you these little nuggets of information, and all they do is just raise more questions. <laughs> Very true. I was like, wait, so how are they invested in the fat? And what, like, what, what exactly is going on? Like, and I want to know more about the people who act normal in society but become totally unhinged when they come here. Like, that was one of the first things I noticed in the first episode. Is uh, the second time we see Teddy, or maybe it was the first time uh, when he wakes up on the train. And you hear these two guys talking, and one of them saying, "Oh yeah, the first time I came here with the family, you know, we did the the gold uh, mining thing and something else. The second time I came alone, and I went full bad guy." Yeah, didn't he actually? Didn't he say I went full black hat, or did he actually say bad guy? I think he said bad guy. Okay. Because because I was talking about the show with someone else. Uh, I know. I'm sorry, John, but uh, <laughs> I was talking about, it and they were making a comment and it was actually Richard from, you know, uh, the other geek elite radio shows. And he was saying that he had come up with some type of theory or he, he at least had noticed that, uh, hats play a big role in the show. Like, uh, when William is first about to go into, uh, Westworld, the, either she is a droid or not a droid, uh, assistant that's helping him dress himself, says now the most important part and he shows him a white hat and shows him a black hat and he's like which which one would be uh the one you want to choose and you know just the dialogue alone it just is just more of a uh uh like cheeky dialogue saying oh this is the most important part your hat you know kind of thing but what if that actually does mean something what if the color of your hat or the style of your hat does make 
a difference of what how the 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 androids interact with you. That actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think I remember. Uh, were you guys talking about it about it on your guys's podcast? No, we were just talking about it uh, in real world. <laughs> oh. Surprisingly, when we were at the Phoenix Fan Fest last weekend. Uh, I see. Uh, yeah. no, see, I save all my conversations now for when they're recorded only. <laughs> but, uh, it's good. Smart no, that's move. A, that's actually a very good point. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. Like Teddy has like a white or a light colored hat. So does William. And they seem to be the two most good characters on the show so far. Mm-hmm. And you have Hector, the outlaw and uh, the man in black and William's friend. And they all seem to have black hats or at least dark colored ones. So that's a very good point. I don't know if that's just symbolism or if it truly means something. But the fact that the lady said this is the most important decision or accessory kind of lends some credence to that theory, and I like it. It's true. And then if you think about when Ford uh, is was out like talking to that little boy in, the, in Westworld, he's wearing a black hat. And then when uh, Bernard is talking to Ford right before Ford shows him his new plan or whatever it is for a storyline, Bernard is wearing a baseball cap. Like that's the only time you've seen him wear a hat in all of the show. <laughs> it's not even in costume. No, he's not. Yeah. It's not even in costume. He's wearing a baseball cap. Now I, I think you could say that uh, for Bernard, it's because he lives at the facility, which is obviously either underground or uh, the only time we ever see the outside it's nighttime. So this is him going into a place where there's, either a real sun or an artificial sun, and it's much brighter than he's used to, so that's why he's wearing a hat. That makes sense. But you'd also see um, uh, the Hemsworth and Elsie when they're going after the stray, and they're both wearing just, like, their work clothes, but no hats, so they don't seem to really care. True, and that was nighttime. It was nighttime. Yes, it was. Well, it, yeah, yes, that's right. Hmm. So yeah, there's there's a lot of like credence to what this could be, and then there's a lot of like I think you're just reading too much into it. <laughs> All right, I just made a little sticky note that says hats question mark question mark. I'm putting it on my board. <laughs> yes, I I want you to. Uh, eventually take a picture of this board and put it on the Geekly <laughs> Facebook page. I'll have to do that, yeah. Okay. And we'll just we'll just caption it with what does this all mean? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that that was a theory that I thought was out there. And then the the whole idea of black hat, white hat, you know, comes from the old West, but then it's also being reused for hacker turns now. Oh wait, I just realized I'm gonna have to put away my blow up doll dressed as Dolores <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's understandable. I mean, I have one too. It just also says Teddy. That's weird. What? <laughs> uh speaking of Teddy, we got to see him again in this episode and it was not in the best uh light, I guess. Uh the whole idea with uh after he met with what's the the bad guy's name that they gave him? I forget. He was going after Wyatt. Wyatt, that's right. So after he met with Wyatt's guys and they surrounded him in the, in the last episode, uh, apparently they strung him up and left him to die uh, on a tree. And uh, what's-his-face showed up? The man in black, Ed Harris's character, found him. 
Yeah, and I think he said something about like you don't look too good or something like that. But uh, yeah, that's um. Well, I mean, was that when we first see the man in black at this point, or was that after they've already done some searching? Because then we got a whole list of things that the man in black was up to. <laughs> yeah, I guess I did skip. To, I skipped to the end of the man in black storyline in this episode. So if you want to go back okay. to uh, him finding the the snake that he was sent to look for by the the little girl. Right, so the little girl in the uh, little Mexican village basically said something about you have to go to where the snake lays its eggs or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, so he's you, we catch up with him and Lawrence, the the outlaw criminal, whatever. And um, he's gutting the snake, and he says, "Hmm, well, we're at the place where there's a bunch of snakes, but I don't see what that girl was talking about." And then they come across, um, oh no, Lawrence was the, the woman. I forget what the criminal's name is, played by Clifton Collins. Yeah, Clifton Collins Jr. I don't remember what his name is at the moment either. I have to remember. We'll just call him Cliff. Okay. Um, yeah, so they come across uh, one of the criminals as part of Hector's crew. And it's the the chick with the snake tattoo on her I guess it starts on her face and it goes all the way down her back. Well, I think the head of the snake is just just underneath her chin on her neck. Or does it actually go under it's, her face? Yeah, it's it's like the the mouth of the snake starts to kind of go around her right eye. Oh, okay. So like it's on the side of her face and it looks very kind of Mike Tyson-y. <laughs> and then but that part is just the outline. As you can see when she's like bathing in the riverbank, the the rest of the body of the snake is actually colored in right and it's wrapped and, it does wrap um, around her her torso yeah so she gives a little bit of context to that saying that it's um her family was killed and she's been looking for revenge ever since uh i guess she said it was wyatt that did it right and she's killed uh you know a lot of his men to the point that every time she kills one of them she fills in the snake with color and the only part that's left is the head or at least that's what the man in black says. Yes, and so that would represent Wyatt. Uh, so she said, um, hey, well, I need your guys' help. And they're like, well, we already got a full team, so the man in black kills two of their crew and says, oh, looks like you've got some openings. <laughs> which, and, um, which at this point, once again, I have to bring up the whole thing about civilians and droids. So apparently there were two people on her team that were actually humans, or I, I should say uh, newcomers, um, which I wouldn't have known at that point when he kills two people or two droids, but yet you find that out later. So how does Ed Harris know that those two were newcomers and not uh, hosts? Well, my guess would be he's just familiar with the characters at this point. If he's been coming here for 30 years, maybe he just knows which ones are the droids already. That's, um, I could see that, but we already know for a fact that they, they make new droids almost every day. Well, the other only possibility is, yeah, maybe he's tuned into something that we don't know about. Yeah, uh, like maybe he can tell now. Like he he's figured out. Like in the Westworld movie, you can tell who, which ones were the robots because their hands don't look right. Right, and we just haven't been told that as an audience member for the TV show yet. 
Yeah, we haven't been told what the uh, the tell is. Because obviously she he doesn't know Lawrence's character, the the lady with the snake tattoo, because he asks her about her whole history, and she, that's the whole his whole point is he wants to know more about the snake. Right, and um, yeah, so she agrees to tell him um, if he rescues Hector from the prison. So. Yeah, he gets himself and Clifton Collins Jr. arrested and uses him as basically bait to get himself into the same prison. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> he tricks the marshal or whatever he is, sheriff, into taking his cigars, which it turns out are actually explosives. Mm-hmm. And he uses the exp- uh, one of those cigars to bust out. Now, here's the interesting thing. I'm glad you're going to talk about this. This is, this is what I thought was interesting as well. Yes, so he's in the prison cell, and he basically arranged for Clifton Collins to get shot uh, to death. Uh, But he's going to rescue him anyway. He has a little conversation with uh, Hector the Outlaw and says, All right, well, I'd like to hear more, but uh, we got to get out of here. We're on a schedule. So he sticks his cigar in the the keyhole for the, the jail cell. Cut to the control room. And you have, like, a secretary or somebody there monitoring it saying, hey, sir, we have a request for a level two explosion or something like that. The pyrotechnics. Pyrotechnic, thank you. And he says two and, explosions. Uh, Hemsworth is basically, like, approved or something like that. Right. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I thought they meant, like, some fireworks were going to go off or something. Uh, and, <laughs> well, in a way, yes, I guess. But it's interesting that it was done as a form of request. Yeah. So that's, two, that's two things I, there. <laughs> go ahead. I'm thinking, here's my theory that, that I think makes the most sense. But then you can tell me yours. Maybe yours is uh, more logical. Um, I think this place is so well controlled that it's like, let's say there's something like dynamite there. In, in Westworld that you want to light up and throw and use for whatever reason, it's possible it won't go off unless they approve it. And to approve it, you know, they have to check to make sure that there's no civilians that could get hurt or it's not going to impact the story in a negative way. And then they allow it to combust somehow, you know, like that's just how advanced this place is. Or it's some kind of admin thing that, uh, the man in black has access to and in reality he's actually working uh for the company in some strange way that hasn't been revealed yet huh okay uh you know uh, that would be interesting if he actually is some type of admin or something like that um i guess the theory that i would have to go with and this would kind of go off of richard's theory of the whole hat thing if there's like some type of neural reader inside the hat that basically reads their thoughts and like their intentions of what they're going to do. So when, uh, like he, he, those cigars could either be just regular cigars, but as soon as he thinks of it of, Hey, I, I planted some type of dynamite stick inside these cigars. That's when the, the thought goes from his brain to his hat, then back to, the control center, which then it approves or denies the explosions, and then 
they allow the explosions to happen or they they make the the explosions happen there might not actually be there's probably no actual dynamite in the cigars but uh the lock itself has an as a has some type of explosion in it so that you could possibly blow the lock if you needed to. And then the dude's head, obviously, <laughs> has uh, some type of explosion in it so that it can... Like a squib, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, if we go back to the whole hat idea. <laughs> no, you know what? The more you talk about it, I'm, 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 I'm putting exclamation points after the question marks now on the hat sticky. <laughs> it's, it's all the hats. <laughs> The hats are the key. The hats are the key. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that I mean, if it's not the hats, it's something else. It's something like I, I feel that the your mind is definitely connected to the control center as a newcomer. Well, that does make sense because I, I have a feeling they would want to be monitoring. If my theory is correct, that they're using this as some sort of beta test about human condition. <laughs> You know, yeah, maybe they want to keep tabs on how people think, feel, and react to things. You know, they yeah. could say it's just for their own research to make improvements, but in reality, they just want to spy on you. Right. I mean, or I mean, it basically, you could just they could just be like, look, if you think this is what you want to do, where you you've planted an explosive inside of a cigar, we can make that happen for you. You just have to let us get into your mind in that in that way. Interesting. Just like the you know the. The devices that Jim Carrey's Riddler makes in Batman Forever. Yeah, the uh, the Dream Stealer or whatever. That yeah, thing whatever was. that thing was. <laughs> it makes it so that they can have better TV, but it's also what was it? Uh, if you can extract people's thoughts, what's keeping you from putting thoughts into people's minds? Yeah, and that's what uh, sends them overboard. Yeah. For if knowledge is power. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, that's... uh, Ed Harris's character breaks Hector out of prison, what, three days early than than what is supposed to be scheduled. Yes. So, uh, which then ups his storyline to go to Sweetwater, which we see at the end of the episode. He does go to Sweetwater, and he interacts with... uh, I mean, I I, I don't want to get off of Ed Harris's character, so if you want to go ahead and finish that up um yeah so then we go to um him rescuing what's his name hector Cliff? and oh, hector, yeah. so the girl bounty hunter criminal woman gives him the rest of the story which i guess points him in the right direction armistice that's her name armistice okay yeah no lawrence is clifton collins jr man i man, i got it change my board around now. Everything's messed up. Um, Yes, so uh, she tells him the rest of the story, how it was a devil named Wyatt, and uh, he was like, interesting. All right. And then he also gives her some interesting information, where he says, there's a deeper level to this game. You know, this world is a world without consequence. I want to make it real. And... Like so, he starts to reveal some of what his intentions are, and although he's giving a lot of info, like like before, it just raises more questions. Like, wait, why why exactly? How does he know about this? What does he mean? How will it work? Why does he want to make it more real? Like, is he trying to save or make the 
the hosts like become self-aware or is it really just because uh, he also mentions that there was a man that like died before he could make his his dream come true and he's just there to to see the legacy you know come well, to in that speech isn't he talking about arnold yeah that's what it sounds like yeah oh did he not say so, arnold or am i was i just inferring that I don't. I don't remember if he said Arnold. To be honest, he he may have. Um, I mean, nobody else would know other than the audience who he's talking about. But right. Yeah, there's. Uh, that's. It just raises so many questions, and it makes me wonder if. Uh, like I, I seriously have my doubts whether he's a, a human or a, a host at this point. <laughs> Like, I can't tell. Like, it kind of goes back and forth depending on what happens in the episode. And, you know, like, he knows a lot. And he could be some kind of robot Jesus that, you know, found out that there's a way to enlightenment. And now is just trying to desperately find it. So. Or maybe what if, he, what if he was, like, the last creation of Arnold before Arnold passed away? Very well could be. Which, we, I mean, like I said, like. This just raises so many more questions and answers, but I'm so damn intrigued. Wasn't that kind of what uh, Sonny was in iRobot, the last creation of the the main guy who ended up being kind of a robot Jesus? Yeah, yes, it was. Okay. He's uh, he got the uh, what do you call it? Like the, the second brain, which allowed him to overwrite the first one, which is where the rules were stored. So he was able to not follow the rules. Right. So, yeah, he could be something like that. The last creation of Arnold. Hmm. Uh, Okay, so, you know, as he goes to look for Wyatt, that's when he comes across Teddy, who's been strung up. And and we know that him and Teddy have a history, or at least, I mean, not like a a real history, but he knows a lot about Teddy uh, to the point where he's like, you never come up with anything new. Yep. So, now he's gonna have a whole backstory, so that could be leading to that whole thing. Um, since Teddy's still alive, I'm sure they're gonna have some interactions next episode, and that I'm looking forward to quite a bit. Uh, but then that also leads us to now Hector is free, so him and his gang of uh, banditos go into town to do what they always do, which is try to steal whatever's in the safe at the brothel. Right and uh, kind of jumping around a little bit, but this also ties into what was going on with Maeve and her existential crisis, which is only intensifying. Um, so she's having these dreams of uh, you know men wearing like hazmat suits, you know, all white with the red faceplate and a couple of lights on the sides. It's very distinctive, and I think there's a reason for that. Uh, being that when she sees a family of Indians being herded through the town, one of the kids drops like a little Kachina doll, and she picks it up to give it to the little girl, and that triggers a memory of seeing that in real life. So I wanted to talk about this for a little bit. I thought that was super interesting that, I mean, one, the look of their hazmat suits are very unique as opposed to other hazmats that we've seen in real life. Two, because... They're all in the mindset of uh, the Old West, you know, and they have no reference of to what that is supposed to be or what that looks like. They've kind of, like, especially the natives have uh, created this whole, uh, 
mythology around it of them being some type of god or death. It was like a, a person that carries you to the next life or something like that, right? Yeah, they call them something like uh, dream walkers or something like that. Right. So, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Maeve's character keeps drawing the picture, but she has no idea what it is she's drawing other than that it looks like a, a human body. So I, I, the whole psychosis of them trying to come up with something when they have no idea what it is really fascinated me. Yeah, and um, so she's she's having a little panic attack because it triggered a memory. So she draws it real quick and then decides, you know what, this is too weird. I need to put this away for later use. So she pulls up a floorboard, which um, doesn't seem like it's part of her normal programming because... Um, when she opens the floorboard and she realizes, wait, I've drawn this before, apparently. And she has several drawings and a couple of other papers of stuff uh, that doesn't make sense to her right away. But it continues to freak her out. Like she, she's, she's holding on to sanity by a thread at this point. Mm-hmm. And then more memories flood back to them operating on her for the last time that she was shot up. And them saying something about, uh, hey, we're not done yet. And they're like, too bad. Patch her up. We got to send her back on the floor. And they mentioned something about there's still fragments inside her. Right. And they're like, yeah, she'll be all right. So next time she comes to, she realizes, she like touches herself on the side and realizes that there's like a bullet in there. So uh, when Hector comes into town, he says, you know what? This is the same old thing as always. I'll give you the damn contents of the safe. Just uh, answer some questions for me. And he's kind of intrigued. He's like, all right. And she starts telling him, like, first of all, what's this thing? And shows him the picture. And he says, oh, that's the the natives believe that it's uh, like a shadow walker or something like that. It's some kind of strange name like that. And he says, um, they believe it's... Um, you know, yeah, like it, it's uh, on the in, from the spirit world and um, she says some, or she says that she's seen it, and he's intrigued at this point. He's like, you know, they say it could be a gift to be able to see uh, what's on the spirit world, and then she's she transfers into the conversation of how like she's been shot, and he's like, well, you don't have any wounds though. She was like, but I know it's there. It's just just poke around for me, and he doesn't want to at first, but she convinces him to or does it herself. And pulls out a bullet fragment. And now he's like, what does this mean? What the hell? I'm like, what's going on? And that's when the, uh, I guess, they, the control center decided to ramp up the cavalry to, to end this whole plot line faster. So the whole gang is killed. Uh, they're going in, barging in to, to get Hector. And she says, uh, I guess this means that none of this is real. And kisses him. And then you just cut to the door being shot up. So you don't know if they ended up getting killed or what's happening. Yeah, I have to assume that they were also they were killed from all the, the flying bullets. Uh, I also wanted to point out that they, they play off the whole him digging into her wound to get the bullet out. And they play it off a very sexual way, like the, the show oh, does. Yeah. So, there's some uh, some penetration innuendo there. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that was uh, definitely very interesting. So, yeah, and she, plus, I mean, her her nature being that of a of a hooker, you know, she's 
she's also been very essential throughout the whole tank yeah, tank <laughs> thing uh, by sitting like so that like her crotch is face level to him and like, right. opening her legs up and, uh, i was like huh so she would make being an outlaw very I, difficult i have to <laughs> i have to the point out the fact that in just the scene before we like we were talking about or not the scene before but a few scenes before when we, what we just talked about with the whole cigar blowing up and the fact that we know that uh, the control center has to approve pyrotechnics and stuff like that, and they're it, that much in control of stuff, the fact that she has this hidden floorboard space that she hides her pictures in, how do they not know about something like that? That's a good question. I mean, if she's not being monitored 24-7... And she doesn't do something that's out of script while they're observing, they probably wouldn't notice. It seems like it's something she did just real quick and it flew under the radar, I'm assuming. But I mean, even in an earlier episode, they the, the control center even makes comment about the fact that she has a bullet fragment in her abdomen. They even say something about like they're like she's feeling some pain or something like that, or she's um she's moving she's favoring her left side or something. They say, Oh yeah, because they left a bullet in her last time. So they know, I mean, they have all of this knowledge and they know all these things, but yet we're supposed to believe that she's able to hide something from them? I guess, yeah. I mean, it also begs the question then as to how um, Dolores was able to uh, to fire the gun when it seems like she wasn't supposed to. That's they true haven't too. seemed to have caught on to that yet. Yeah. Yeah. See. So I mean, yeah. I think. I mean, we definitely have to wonder. You know, how much of this is still controlled by the by Westworld or Delos or whoever, and how much is actually, I mean, is what we we're being led to believe is being outside of the parameters of the program. Yeah, it's so many questions, Mitch. Where <laughs> where is this going? I. I'm running out of red yarn to connect things to. <laughs> so just a quick side note. Uh, I wanted to look up the actor who plays Wyatt in the show. And his name is Soren Browers. And he has a few credits to his name for acting. He also has a few credits to his name uh, for mis- miscellaneous crew on video games. And uh, one of the video games he did was Injustice Gods Among Us. He's the motion capture actor for Green Arrow, Bane, and Shazam. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, kind of on a similar note of IMDb-ing people with random superhero connections, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I knew that the guy that plays Eobard Thawne in uh, the Flash TV show Uh looked really familiar, but I couldn't place from where. Matt Lesher? Yes. And uh, just randomly, I was watching uh, Zorro, the Anthony Hopkins and... uh, Antonio Banderas movie. Right. And he plays like the lead cavalry guy. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I was like, wait, that's him. That's the fun. <laughs> like, Zoom is in this thing. That's kind of interesting. That is. Connections that you find with people just randomly. <laughs> uh, getting back to Westworld, though. <laughs> um,. We had a little bit of this discussion before we started recording, but the whole constellations uh, that we saw 
written on or carved into those wood carvings. Uh, in this episode, basically Bernard, uh, what did we say the girl's name is? Elise or Lisa or something like that? Elise. Elise. Okay. She is very upset because Bernard is letting uh, QA take care of uh, the stray who caved in his own head instead of them taking care of it like like they're supposed to and he's like he basically tells her like this is you know this isn't something you need to worry about it's it's a lesser part of the battle you know let them have this one we'll we'll deal with whatever else comes next and then she keeps bringing up the whole fact that he is you know going beyond his programming and started being interested in in uh constellations and uh, astrology and stuff like that and uh, or I should say astronomy and uh, he Bernard points out the fact that that's not Orion. It's it's got too many stars in the belt. There's only supposed to be three, and that's four. Yeah. So something I picked up on that is um. So the, apparently, there's a lot of supplemental material dealing with Westworld. Uh, there's like an ARG game going on right now, or an ARG. And somebody pointed out that the constellation actually more closely resembles locations on a map of Westworld, oh. as opposed to um, to the actual constellation of Orion. Now I need to look more into that because I just barely found out about this like yesterday, so I haven't had a chance to research it myself. Apparently, there's a lot of info out there that's supplemental, like uh, em- employee emails with each other about stuff in the park or the the theme park. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some where some are noticing some interesting anomalies while also talking about their families back home. Like that's the nature of how these things are written, I suppose. And um, yeah, so that, that lends credence to the idea that uh, to me anyway, that if there's an extra star in the constellation, that this perhaps is not earth they were on. Hmm. I keep thinking maybe that extra star is actually Earth. Hmm. And you're kind of seeing Orion from the other side, kind of thing. Kind of like it's it's far enough away where, um, like I don't know what the constellation would look like from Mars's orbit, but you know something like that where you're far enough removed. That Earth just kind of looks like another dot in the sky. Oh, that, that's pretty interesting. That's a that's a good way. I was just thinking that maybe in this idea, you know, like you know, on Earth, the we usually do a lot of the whole uh, not we, but like back in you know back in the past, they used uh, the North Star as a lot of their navigation for you know boats and stuff like that. Whereas maybe this is supposed to be a star that this extra star that's in Orion's belt is Westworld's version of the North star. Perhaps. Yeah. It still doesn't explain why there is an extra one though. Yeah. You're so, right. I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it could be that it's not even a constellation at all. Like they were saying in that augmented reality game that, um, it, it could just be symbolizing uh, a map instead, which would be interesting in and of itself because the whole thing right now is, um, the the man in black is looking for something. He's searching for a maze. He just doesn't know where it is. So maybe this this map is, uh, if it is a map, 
is Arnold's way of trying to uh, to show them, you know, key points. Right. They have to go to. So yeah, I mean, obviously, maybe if whatever it is that he has, the the map that he has on on the underside of someone's scalp, along with whatever this guy is is creating, it could all lead to the same thing. So with the whole augmented reality uh, game aside, I do find that interesting because. Uh, we know that this is a J.J. Abrams-produced show, uh, which, along with Cloverfield and Lost, were both J.J. Abrams projects. They also had augmented reality games to go along with it, or outside, you know, sources. So, uh, I wonder if that's a thing that he just likes to do. Well, definitely. Um, if, if you've ever seen that book that he, I guess, also produced, I don't think he wrote it, Um but uh, it's a book that came out like a year or so ago. <laughs> and um, it's the first time I've ever seen anything like this, but it's a book with built-in ARG. Really? Um, yeah, so it's it's a completely fictional story, um, but it already comes with pre-written notes from two other people. So, And it comes with a built-in... Uh, index card like it's a library book Mm -hmm. so like (laughs) the index card has like checkouts from like two main people who look like they were kind of going back and forth the only way they communicated with each other was through this book right by writing notes at the end of chapters or by underlining certain things and putting comments on the sides that's interesting and then like yeah, it's a really interesting book. I, I can't remember exactly what it's called off the top of my head. I'll have to research it real quick. But um, I'm like, so you could read this as just a story, that you know, for the book. But you could also read it as an ARG of these two people discussing this book, and also what's going on in their personal lives. And I think there's even a third layer which I can't quite recount because. Now there's like a third person involved at some point that has nothing to do with those other two. And it, it, yeah, I'm not, (laughs) I can't even really do it justice to try to summarize it like this. It's such a weird concept, but it's really interesting. So when I first found out about ARGs and sadly to say, I'm pretty sure that was only like six years ago. Um, I was really fascinated about this. And, you know, there's, like, ongoing games every year in certain places around the country that they have huge scavenger hunts that that are, you know, planned out by these uh, and involve these ARGs. I wanted to do one myself. I, I tried to come up with an idea for, like, uh, someone who stole the the formula for the super soldier serum. And, uh, oh, nice. And I, I, I kind of got a little bit – I got kind of far, but I, I, I never ever finished it up, so – I would love to to do that someday, just to you know get the friends together and, and see if they can figure out my scavenger hunt mystery. That would be pretty awesome, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can definitely make that as simple or complex as you want, involving like GPS coordinates and riddles and stuff. Yeah, exactly. That'd be really neat. The best one I've ever seen implemented that I had no hope of ever doing was during the Dark Knight. Uh, oh, I remember that. Yeah, I remember going to Comic-Con that year, and I I only went, like, the Saturday, so I missed, like, a good chunk of it. 
so I didn't get to be a part of it so that I could get one of those Joker masks. Mm-hmm. But I remember getting out of the parking lot, looking up at the sky, and seeing sky writing that said, ha, ha, ha. I remember that, too. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? And then there was a phone number. And that was the weirdest form of sky writing I've ever seen, because stereotypical sky writing, you have like a little biplane, and it takes its time to like write every letter out. And... um like, this was actually, like, a group of, like, five or six planes. They looked like jets almost. And they were flying in a perfect line. And it was kind of like a dot printer. Yeah. Like, they would release a puff of smoke, and then it would stop, and they would release, like, another one. And they would, they, it did the whole thing that way. I'm like, that is freaking crazy. How have I never known about this thing before? And that they were using it for this. I mean, their marketing budget must have just been astronomical because well, they did a lot of stuff. Yeah, Warner Brothers did a, a great job that year of, of promoting The Dark Knight, <laughs> which yeah. is probably one of it's one. I think it's one of the highest grossing uh, superhero movies out there. So I, I don't doubt it. Yeah, I remember broke a bunch of records, which were then broken by Twilight, which was like, well, that sucked. But um. <laughs> Well, first of all, I highly uh, encourage this idea of uh, Geek Elite putting on a ARG. Um, and secondary, I'm going to have to get back to you next episode and see what I can dig up because it looks like there's a bunch of kind of really hidden stuff out there. And some of it is just for flavor. Like it doesn't really add anything. It's just to kind of make it feel more like a real world thing. So when you have to scavenge for clues and my uh, – as we were discussing earlier – I was left really disappointed with the ARGs for Cloverfield because ultimately they added nothing to the story. Right. Um, you know, like it, it actually, it, well, no, I should take that back. The ARGs were better than the movie. Ah. Is, is, is what I, they actually gave you a story. You find out who these characters are. Um, the main characters each had MySpace pages. Um, which I friended on a couple of them, and they would update their statuses with like real life boring things, all leading up to the party uh, that happens in the movie. Right. And um, there was even like <laughs> it ran the gamut from like Slusho, which is a big Abrams brand. Right, along um, with Apollo bars. Yeah. To uh, Tagrado, the company that supposedly was doing deep sea drilling in the area where the Cloverfield monster was awoken. Right. Uh, there was like seismology reports and just all kinds of really cool stuff. And I was like, why isn't this the movie? <laughs> like there was nothing in the movie. Like you didn't know who the characters were. If all you watched was the movie, it was really disappointing. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I always thought the movie was really disappointing. Now I just have a whole new level as to why it was also disappointing. <laughs> Yeah, because because none of the actual good stuff was in it, except for like a couple of shots of the monster. So, which like, uh, I don't remember who, who what the name of the and that makes me a bad movie geek. But the name the the director of uh, Donnie Darko, but I know he made another movie called Southland Tales. And oh man, have you watched that movie? Yes. Did you like it? Um, it had potential like it because it was very similar it had a huge ARG component and that's what I was going to get at like uh, what everybody has told me since I watched that movie I was like this is weird like I don't understand anything that's going on it seems like I came in halfway and none of it makes sense apparently you had to do a lot of the reading on the side you had to 
go to the website and you had to do a lot of uh, the other because you come in at like chapter five or something like that according to the movie. Yep. And you had to read all the chapters beforehand online. And the, all the ARG really helps to support what the movie was. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I didn't, I didn't know anything about that. And why would I have to go walk, read something else just to understand this movie? <laughs> because Richard Kelly lost his mind and he thought he was going to be the next George Lucas, I think. That's right, Richard Kelly. <laughs> um, no, yeah. So interesting kind of side note. Donnie Darko was a pretty good self-contained movie. I don't recommend the director's cut. The director's cut kind of botches its own work. <sighs> but um, – the regular version, the theatrical, was was pretty entertaining. I'm a big fan of Donnie Darko, and the ARG for that was supplemental. It was there, like if you wanted to learn more about the world and feel more engrossed in it, it added to it, it enriched it, but it was not necessary. Um, for Southland Tales, it was the exact opposite. If you go in just watching the movie, like you can't make heads or tails of what's going on. <laughs> yeah, no, I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, it was so bizarre. Now, I like things about it. I think Richard Kelly is an interesting filmmaker. He's just not a good storyteller. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll be, I'll, I'm right there with you. I think that's, uh, that's actually, yeah, the same. Yeah, like I remember really loving the scene where uh, Justin Timberlake does that drug they do in the movie and he goes into a, a cover of uh of uh, all the things that i've done by the killers uh, that was so interesting just because it was out of nowhere like just a musical number in this like bizarre dystopian post-apocalyptic movie <laughs> but uh no yeah 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 you have to kind of and if you have the special edition dvd a lot of it is on there as well mm including a, a short video where a fish is telling his son about the downfall of humanity. Wow. <laughs> and it's, it's animated, and yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> I think Finding Nemo went in a whole weird direction then. <laughs> yeah, it kind of did, yeah. Okay, so getting back to Westworld, and just to start wrapping up, uh, as our resident Redditor, uh, anything of cool, pertinent information on there about this week's episode or what we know so far i uh, know we pretty much covered it now that you mentioned the hat thing i'm gonna double check and see if anybody's mentioned that and if not i'm gonna claim it as my own thanks rich <laughs> uh so the connections with the hat i mean most everybody's kind of in the same boat they're like talking about well what does what the man in black's plan seems to be is he is he there for good or for ill um, is the man in black really William? What is the evidence for the two different timelines or maybe multiple? Because there was that one scene where Dolores stares at the moon and she starts having all these flashbacks. And she, and like also earlier when she's at the church, she remembers seeing the church. But this is the first time we see her there. Right. So, yeah, like what exactly? Like what's brought her there before? You know, like that's... That's an interesting thing because it was a, a specific set of events that got her there now. Hmm. And she's not supposed to be there as evidenced by the guy that came to basically take her back home. So, yeah, this, there's a lot of cyclical stuff happening because it's, it seems to be not be told linearly. It's hard to figure out exactly where it is. Yeah, no, exactly. That's in, And since you've brought that theory to my mind, that's all I can think about when I'm watching the show sometimes. <laughs> Hmm, where exactly are we in a different timeline or what? 
Yeah, I, I think it's safe to assume that if that theory is correct, anytime we see Dolores uh, with William, it's the past. And if William is not involved, it's the present. Mm. Okay. Because we see Dolores a lot with um, with Bernard in the last couple of episodes as he's like interviewing her. Right. And he sends her off on her way at the end of their conversations usually. Um, but then when, when we pick up with Dolores' storyline, her storyline, she's with uh, William. So it doesn't make sense that she would be leaving in the middle of the night to go have a conversation with Bernard and then come back and nobody notice, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Didn't in so this the, last conversation with Bernard, didn't he tell her something about the maze and like that he she needs to go find it? Yeah, he said something about like, do you want to be free? And she says, I think I do. So that all could be happening before, if uh, before the William storyline takes place, and that's why she's now found herself a part of that party. Yeah, I mean, because it sounds like they're on the they're they're basically on the heels of the Man in Black, essentially. So, uh, if this is true that William is the Man in Black, maybe at one point she was with him early on. She finds the maze, goes off on her own. He doesn't know, understand what happened to her, and then now he's coming back every all this time to try and retrace those steps. But even though Dolores is still there. I don't know. <laughs> I've yeah, gone cross-eyed. <laughs> I hope this isn't one of those situations where all of these theories we're coming up with turns out to be better than what actually happens. <laughs> so that'd be so that'd be so messed up. That would be. Okay. Any last bit that you want to take care of real quick? Uh, no. Uh, like I said, I have more questions and answers right now, so I want to um, take another look at my board and. Uh, <laughs> Wait patiently for the next episode. Great. Because, I mean, and I think that's where we should be at this point in the show, where we should have more questions and answers. Uh, You don't want that to happen towards the end of the show like they've done (laughs) previously. But, uh, yeah, right now this is still keeping us intrigued because they're giving us enough information. Whereas some shows that pose a bunch of questions, they don't give you any information and you just get tired with it. You're like, well, I don't even care anymore. So this is doing the great mixture of the two. And I'm happy. Yep, I'm. Uh, I can't wait. There's supposed to be five seasons of this, so they can keep me hooked like this as long as it's good. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm sold. <laughs> All right. So, if you have any theories, listeners, or you have any uh, holes that you'd like to poke in our theories, or uh, things that have been said today, go ahead and get a hold of us on Twitter. I'm at agent underscore of the underscore bat. John is also on Twitter as I am at Magic Bollocks. As we said earlier, if you wanted to talk about uh, leaked information from Game of Thrones, uh, you can also get to Geek Elite Radio on Twitter as at Geek Elite Radio. Uh, then go over to Facebook where we do most of our conversation. Our community is uh, there as Geek Elite Radio on Facebook. And then after that, visit our website, geekeliteradio.com, to check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. But until next week, uh, this has been the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying, always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.